0: The greeting time for us isn't just for you to burn off some energy, uh, although it does help you sit better. Um, The kingdom of God is built around relationship, a relationship with Christ and a relationship with others. And so, you know, how do we accomplish that except that we spend time together? And one of our assumptions is, is that if your only experience in church is facing the front, you probably aren't having much connection with others. And so we try to do some things intentionally to see that those relationships are built. Uh, Afterwards, we're going to have a meal. Everyone's invited. Uh, It'll be downstairs. And again, it's another way to connect with people and to share the good things of the Lord. Now, if you're just talking nonsense that doesn't really take any right. But you still have the opportunity in the Lord to speak life to one another and to bring insights that are valuable. And so that's what I encourage you to aim toward and to pursue even when we're chatting, so to speak. Um, I want to go to a passage of scripture today. I've been walking through Philippians uh, just a bit and at the end of chapter 2 and the start of chapter 3, I want to go through that. But I'll say this, uh, it is an unsettling passage for me. Um, and Not because it's so hard to understand, it's maybe because I do understand what he's saying. But his mindset is different than what I'm used to. Now one of the members of this congregation this week is heading out and uh, he'll be going into countries that normally you don't go into, and he'll be taking the gospel. And it's one of those things where you see what Paul was doing and some of the struggles that he had, and you're going, my life hasn't been like that. And yet, in my heart, I know that I have to leave the window open for those experiences and be willing to, to take that on if that's what Christ has for me. And so that's what I want to share in some ways as I walk through this. Um, first off, this is one of the most up books you'll ever read. If you're discouraged, Philippians is a great book to just pick up. Four chapters, it's short. Uh, even a tension deficit person can get through Philippians. Well, mostly. You know, you might doze in and out, but it, you'll get there. Trust me on this one. Um, taken naps during it, but still picked it up and was able to finish in the time I needed. Uh, But that said, this man's situation wasn't very good. I mean, he's sitting in prison, and he's not sure if he's going to live beyond prison, because uh, prison in those days generally was a holding tank until you got judged. And often you were put to death or charged a fine and then set out. But you know, in this case, he doesn't know for sure what's going to happen. And so that said, he's writing back to these people that he's been with before, that he got tossed into jail while he was there. You remember in Acts, when he was called by the Lord, it says, you will have to suffer many things. And that was a measure on his life. So when he is... Sitting in jail, he's had some others come work with him. One is a a man named Timothy, who he considers like a son. He spent a lot of energy with him, and they've shared life. And uh, he, he makes this mention of him. He says, No one here is like him, who readily demonstrates his deep concern for you. Others are busy with their own concerns, not those of Jesus Christ. So he's looking around, and he says, this guy is invested. This guy is pouring his whole life into others. He's very concerned about your life. And he says, you know, there's a lot of people around here that just don't really care all that much. But he's saying, Timothy, he's a, he's a different breed, so to speak. And then he goes on, and he mentions a man named Epaphroditus that... Um, And he's sending the two of them back, and he's hoping to come with them if he gets released. But he mentions Epaphroditus. The Philippians had sent him to care for Paul while he was in prison, and apparently he got really sick, enough so that they thought he was going to die. And so his missions trip didn't go quite as expected. In fact, Paul's worried that, you know, I'm going to have to send a note home saying, thanks for the guy you sent, he died. You know, it's, that would be awful. And, and so he's worried about this, and he's just not sure what's to take place. But Epaphroditus lives, but he says, you should go home. And I know you're distressed, you know, and, and I'm anxious about this. And so he sends him home. He said, God had mercy on him. He just, and me too, he says. So God, God reached out and touched him and healed him. But he says, that took, a, <laughs> that took a big load off of me. But it's interesting to me to note that when he sends him back, he says, this is how I want you to treat him. This guy that did the mission trip that turned out to be disaster, you know, the guy that tried to do something good, but it really didn't work out well, this is how I want you to treat him. Welcome him with great joy and honor. Interesting. Uh, you didn't really get it done, guy. You know, you were supposed to be a help. You ended up being a burden. But Paul is, is caught up in saying he took a shot and did his best. He says, welcome him with honor since people, people like him Since it's because of the work of Christ that he almost died. So he says, it didn't turn out like we planned. It didn't turn out like he planned. But the intent was appropriate. He was seeking to honor Christ. He says, therefore, welcome him with joy and honor him. He risked his life so that you can make up for your inability to serve me. Interesting, isn't it? Let's jump on to chapter 3. He, uh, in the second verse, says, Beware of the dogs, the evil workers. Beware of those who mutilate the flesh. Uh, Beware is used three times. That's easy to figure out what he's saying, right? Got the emphasis there. But it's this thing of he's, there's a, a conflict going on within the early church. And circumcision was a sign of entering into Judaism, right? It was... It was something that all males went through. And so the church is wrestling, are we Jews who are also Christians, or are we Christians that are also Jews? Are we first and foremost Jewish, and Christian is a part of that subset then, or are we first off Christians who happen to be Jewish as well? And Paul's saying, we're Christians first, and so he says you don't necessarily have to become Jewish to be Christian. So that's that's the entanglement and battle that they were going through, and he goes, you know, they uh, they're depending on their Judaism for their salvation, essentially, is what he's saying, and yet he says we're the ones who are the true circumcision of God. He he takes it to a, a different level. He says. We worship by the Spirit. Our lives have been set apart by the Spirit of God. So what's going on in us is of the Spirit. So he says that's the mark on who a Christian is. Remember when the Scripture says you must be born again, and he's talking of a birth of the Spirit. In other words, well, the presence of God in our lives is indicative of the change that's been made, that allows us to enter into fullness of relationship with God. And so he's saying it's not the outward physical statement, it's what's taken place inside. Worship of the Spirit of God and exalt in Christ Jesus. Therefore, we don't rely on human credentials. And he goes, so mine are significant. And he describes a little bit. He says, I was born... uh, and circumcised on the eighth day. I was a Benjamite, which was one of the favored tribes, and in a uh, sense more important if you're going to rate tribes, uh, you know, that status, so to speak, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And then he goes on and says, i would lived as far as the law, I was a Pharisee. So he says, in regard to Judaistic law, I was of the group that lived it to the nth degree. I was the most dedicated to being precise and orderly and obedient to the laws that were in front of me. So he says, I'm a part of that group. And then he goes on to say, my zeal, well, it can't be false. I persecuted Christians. I was so intense about this that I saw them as troublemakers, and so I Ended up putting them to death. So he's going, I, I lived the life. I was zealous. And then he goes on and says, according to the righteousness stipulated by the law, I was blameless. So he's going, if you're going to trust outward circumstances, he says, I lived all of that. Now I remind you, all of those things are temporal, Right? The family that you're born into, or the group that you're with, what you see right here is temporal, right? All these bodies are temporal. And the rules that they had for that life, again, were temporal. These weren't necessarily eternal law, laws. It, it was the temporal. Zealousness is a temporal thing, right? It's what we do now. And so he's going... All of this was an outward sign or declaration. It was a temporal thing. It didn't have the power of the eternal on it. He says, all these assets I've now come to regard as liabilities. So he puts it in financial terms. I now regard all things as liabilities compared to the far greater value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord For whom I have suffered the loss of all things, indeed I regard them as dumb. So he says, all of the things that I used to count on, all of the things that were valuable that I saw as as making me right before God, he says, they're worthless in comparison to knowing Christ. So again, you know, the challenge, I guess, for us who are religious, I mean, you're all here on Sunday, right? We're religious. But the challenge is not to trust that religiousness as putting us at peace with God. He says the thing that makes a difference is Christ and his faithfulness to us. And so we don't have the the right to just say, well, I do all these temporal things, so I'm at peace with the eternal God. No, you're going to have to trust in something eternal to to give you eternal peace. It's not going to be the the temporal circumstances. He says, I count them as dung, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not because I have my own righteousness derived from the law, but because I have the righteousness that comes by way of Christ's faithfulness. A righteousness from God that is in fact based on Christ's faithfulness. So go ahead. He's saying, it's not about what I do or who I've been born as or what I've accomplished. He says it has to do with Christ. That's the measure of my peace. And we have to keep coming back and visiting that, right? Because all of us want to walk in obedience to Christ and we want to follow his dictates, but that's all secondary to starting that relationship with him. We can't start with that and assume that we get to the other place. My aim is to know him and to experience the power of his resurrection. Well, all of us would say, yeah, I like that idea. I like the idea of living forever with him. To share in his sufferings, that's the part that rubs me raw. And to be like him in his death, and so somehow to attain the resurrection from the dead. So he has is, he is gathered this concept that Christ came to earth, he died, he suffered and died for us, but he also rose again and he's saying, my life, I really want it to imitate that. He says, I want to take on the sufferings of Christ. I want to, you know, he's sitting in prisons and so he's obviously connecting with some of it. But he's he's identifying it as saying, this is appropriate for my life because I have this eternal hope. Um, I was, (laughs) I knew that I was coming into this passage this week and I got this magazine in the mail called Voice of the Martyrs. I'm not quite sure how I got on their mailing list, but I am. And so every now and then I read it. can't say that I always do. But I picked it up this week, and, and uh, in the opening cover, there was a paragraph that caught my attention, and then I was kind of hooked into reading the rest of it. But um, this is written by a man named Cole Richards, who is the current president of that organization. He says After attending a Christian marriage and family seminar many years ago, I came to a disappointing conclusion. I discovered that if we evaluate our families using the standards of relational health taught in that seminar, families that have faithful, joyful, and sacrificially served the Lord in the most profound ways would be rated as less than healthy than the upper-middle-class families with the means to support frequent date nights, expensive vacations, and lavish gifts to one another. While it is good for couples to find ways to spend quality time together, We need to be careful that we do not emulate families that pursue worldly consumerism instead of those heroes of the faith represented in Scripture throughout church history and still serving today who've placed a priority on the advancement of God's eternal kingdom. Interesting insight. You know, that uh, it isn't just about good times together. It isn't just about... Showing attention so the other can have good times. But he says there's a higher priority. And, and this was uh, this particular magazine, the, the man that started it, um, Wormbrand, uh, I'm forgetting his first, Richard Wormbrand, was born in Armenia, grew up in Romanian, uh, he was born in Armenia, grew up in a Romanian community went to jail uh, for the gospel, 14 years in prison. Isolated, in total isolation for three years. If you ever want to YouTube an interesting, take this further thing, look up some of his stories, and uh, you'll see his scars. You'll hear of, of uh, you know, brutal things. But he comes out of it with a very sweet attitude, you know, in and, and this... Uh, praying for those who held him prisoner. And, you know, it's, it's unsettling, but it's that he started a, this ministry called Voice of the Martyrs, and regularly they publish accounts of others around the world who are suffering now. And so it's not just a past thing. But within this particular passage, I, as long as I was as there, I wanted to read a, another portion for you. This was by Adanira Judson, who was a, a missionary to Burma, now Myanmar. And uh, in the 1800s, he had decided he was going to leave his comfort of Britain and, and head to Myanmar and share the gospel. Well, he wasn't embraced in the country, and there was a lot of troubles. But uh, this is his letter asking uh, approval to marry his first wife. He's, He's writing her father. This is his note. You might take notes on this, guys, if you're someday interested in this kind of thing. I have now to ask whether you can consent to part with your daughter early next spring. Starts out nice, right? To see her no more in this world. Whether you can consent to her departure to a heathen land and her subjection to hardships and suffering as a missionary life, whether you consent to her exposure to the dangers of the ocean, to the fatal influence of the southern climate of India, to every kind of want and distress, to degradation, insult, persecution, and perhaps violent death. Can you consent to all of this for the sake of him who left his heavenly home, died for her and for you, for the sake of perishing immortal souls, for the sake of the Zion and the glory of God. (laughs) How would you like to receive a letter like that? It's It's a different mindset than what you and I are used to, right? But we can't just dismiss it. But we have to be willing to open the door and say, God, my life is yours. And if we read what Paul has written and we read that it was In times past, and we also read that it's contemporary, we're going, well, maybe my situation is that, but I still have to be willing to open the door. And that's what's kind of unsettling, right? Because God may ask that of us. And yet Paul's saying, it is so valuable and so worth it. Um, By the way, Judson's first wife did die on the mission field. Uh, he had been in prison for a few years, um, or uh, excuse me, a few months. And, uh, but she, she had a child at one point. Um, she died, and then the child died. Um, and then his second wife died on the mission field as well. His third wife survived him. But seven of his 13 children did die, similar deaths. So you look at that and you're going, that's, you know, a couple hundred years ago, but even so. What an intense way to pursue God. And so the question is, am I willing to let my life be lived with intensity as well? Am I willing to open the doors for such things? Anyway, this... I could read you several more stories. They have some contemporary ones. They're all about the same. Uh, But there's a recognition that even if suffering in this life happens, it's worthwhile compared to the goal that's set in front of us. Let's move on. Not that I've already attained all this, the resurrection and such, but I have, and not that I've already been perfected, but I strive to lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. So it says, I, I long to bring into effect all that's available to me through Christ. I, I long to apply everything that he's given for this life in me through him. He says, that's my, my pursuit. I don't consider myself to have attained this. For I am single-minded, forgetting the things that are behind, reaching out for the things that are ahead. With this goal in mind, I strive toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So he's saying, whatever I've had and whatever has been is not as important as what's ahead. And he's not talking temporal even in that. He says, the the goal is the upward call of Christ. That's what I'm chasing. Therefore, let those who are perfect embrace this point of view, he says. If you've been made whole by Christ, he says, this is the mindset that we need to take on. Be imitators of me. Watch carefully those who are living this way as you have us for an example. So he says, "Look around at those you see who are getting it done; chase their lives." So when I read stories like this, <laughs> and I'm seeing those examples, then it says, "Take note. Look at that example." For many live about whom I've often told you, they're now with tears. I tell you that they're enemies of the cross of Christ; they're in destruction. Their God is their belly. Yeah, It's all about the right meal and the right food. It's big in our culture right now, right? They exalt in their shame. Again, it's like turning everything upside down and taking a certain joy at tweaking the wrong things. I almost said twerking the wrong things, but that's... That's a fitting example, okay? It's, it's taking the things that are inappropriate and suddenly glorying in them. And he's saying, that's twisted. That's not appropriate. They think about earthly things. And that's, that's what he says is the vast difference. It's getting caught up in this life and making it all about now. And in some ways, even trying to take our Christianity and make it conform to just this life. If all our thoughts are, well, how can I get this house up to condition? It's a temporal thing, right? But it's kind of like saying, well, then we toss in a Christian but then I can really invite people over and share Christ. And if I get this car, you know, then, well, for you, Lord, because then I'll carry people around in it. You know, but you know that the, the major amount of thought is more in the, this immediate. And he's going, that's not where it's at, and we have to keep looking in a different direction. Our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform these humble bodies of ours into the likeness of His glorious body by means of that power which He is able to subject all things to Himself. So He's saying, My goal isn't even in this lifetime. My goal is this citizenship in heaven. That's what I'm chasing. And I guess it's a good passage to kind of remind ourselves, right? It's not about just what we get done here, but it's looking ahead and saying, this is the direction that I'm chasing. So in just in summary, he saw suffering as a portion of his life. He saw it as appropriate for his walk in Christ. He considered himself a citizen of heaven, and that's what we chase together he based his salvation on the hope of Christ. Lord bless you. When I walk through a passage like this, probably the most frightening moment is saying, God, do you have something for me in this moment that you want to speak to my heart? And yet you have to do it. Right? You can't just shut it off and say, well, I'll take the next chapter and we'll all be good. But you just, you know, it's appropriate regularly you know it's there might be something little it might be something big this last week i got an email from a friend in malawi he'd been at church and had his home ransacked again uh, second time they they know he's in church and so they go in and swipe everything he's got and now my question that i have to answer is well am i going to try to help him restore some of this He lives on a much lower financial plane than I do. Um, You know, he makes 150 bucks a month. You know, so it's like, okay, do I say, well, sorry to hear your news, or do I, you know, there's that tension. I know that when Michael goes overseas, every time he comes back, it's like, how do I live with wealth? And yet I know so many friends that aren't and for some of you God's probably speaking to your heart and saying I want you to commit your life to to one of these places and that's appropriate to step forward and say it's worth it like a Paul was saying this citizenship in heaven it's worth everything to let go of that's temporal so I throw that out to you and i just say let's pray together let's ask the lord speak to my heart what do you want and then respond when he says it okay
1: i remind you
0: what's remaining now is open-ended worship Um, there is that meal downstairs a great way to get to know people and then uh, we're going to continue to worship and serve him may your blessing rest on these your people May they know the fullness of favor that you intend for their lives. May they discover with joy that their citizenship in heaven is worth more than anything here. As each one goes into the community, I ask that you'll give them words of life to speak over others. I ask that you'll enable them to carry out the workings of your kingdom. As these students go back onto campus, give them great courage to speak truth to stand up for your gospel and to be willing to be shunned if necessary. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your great salvation that works in our hearts.